0: It's the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, with your host, Jamie Dew, Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna, and featuring Matt Ardill, and now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew.
1: you so much i say as if there are people clapping but there are not i mean maybe you're clapping at home i don't know i can't see you send me an email jamie at snlhof.com put thunderous applause in the subject so before we go into anything i'm going to ask you to please wipe your feet The custodians are off this week, so we need to keep this place spick and span. The SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair. Each week, we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the hall. This is really exciting stuff because tomorrow, that's right, tomorrow, the voting begins. Are you registered? I know I've been hammering this home a lot, but if you're not registered, you can't vote. And voting is the exciting part of this. That's how we determine who makes it into the hall. There are 31 nominees. You get 15 votes, and from there we do some complex mathematics. And if a nominee appears on 66.6% of the ballots, they will enter the SNL Hall of Fame. So like I said, really an exciting time. Tomorrow is when it all begins. We wrap things up February 5th, and on February 6th, we'll go live and announce who our inductees are. This is an exciting time. Speaking of excitement, this week we are introducing our listeners to the great Greg Crow, who will be conversing with Thomas about Mike Myers. Mike frickin' Myers. This is a guy who was a repertory player and took the world by storm with some of the memorable and iconic sketch characters to ever really come out of snl i'm really looking forward to greg and thomas's conversation because my mind isn't 100 percent made up yet i know he belongs in the hall but does he go in on his first ballot that's a really interesting question for me is that something that you think about do you think about where and when somebody should go into the hall before we go any further why don't we check in with our friend matt in his Minutia Minute.
2: Hey, Jamie, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. How about you?
2: I can't complain. I'm going to be chatting about one of my all-time favorites here today, so I'm very excited about this.
1: Mike Myers.
2: Yeah, he Canadian boy. He's very proud of that fact. Mike Myers, 5'8", born May 25th, 1963. His first episode was January 21st, 1989. That is with the... the I'd say it's the... So there's the original not ready for primetime players. But I'd say this cast with Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, John Lovitz, that's sort of like one of those other iconic classes of players that people think back to fondly. Yeah. It's kind of iconic. And that was his the first cast that he was a part of. His last episode, January twenty first, nineteen ninety five, season twenty. That was a weird year. Had a huge cast. Alan Claghorn, Chris Elliott, Chris Farley, Marwena Banks, Janine Garofalo, Norm MacDonald, etc. But also, you know, you had a lot of people coming and going that season, like Janine quit halfway through due to what she felt was some toxicity within the environment, kind of at its peak back then. You also had a lot of other people leaving and coming partway through the season. And G.E. Smith left that season as well. G.E. Smith being a fixture of the band. So it's really a kind of, I think kind of where Lauren says we are now this season with a transitionary season where there's a lot of upheaval and a lot of trying new things and trying new people and not sure where it's going to be next season. But yeah, it's a tumultuous year for him to leave in. But he hit it big. Now he's a Second City alum. He actually was in class with Dave Foley and Kevin McDonald of Kids in the Hall and almost joined the troupe. They were considering him, but they went a different direction, brought in Scott instead, and the rest is history. He has two brothers. One is a music journalist and a writer who wrote the biography of the Kids in the Hall troupe because he and Mike were very good friends. His other is Peter, who worked at Sears with my wife. So, <laughs> so yes, they both worked in corporate. So a little bit of a personal connection there. I've never met mr myers because i think my head would explode if not my heart one of one of the two would explode is just oh, no. which would explode first now his earliest appearance uh was as ari in an episode of scout's honor and the king of kensington yeah so he he got a lot of canadian heritage in his his back catalog in fact he was also on the littlest hobo
1: i was gonna say yes seen him on that episode yes
2: sassy frisbee frisbee playing teenager in the episode boy on wheels yeah now now he did spend a big part of his early years doing comedy in the uk where he performed in the edinburgh fringe and it kind of feels like that and his english father really informed a lot of his humor he leans into the silly in a way that we see in, in in troops like Monty Python, which was kind of, I think, needed in Saturday Night Live because it was kind of an an injection of a new kind of humor that they didn't didn't do very often. Wayne's World actually predates SNL in that uh, Wayne Campbell was first seen on the show City Limits in 1983, which was hosted by Chris Ward as Chris's cousin, Wayne, from Scarborough. And he was a huge Rush fan. So I think that that really scants very little change to the character just added his friend's gar- mm. friend Garth got a long history of roles 56 actor credits, 18 writer credits, 6 producer credits. I think the strangest credit that he has though is the Dave Foley Holiday Special, The True Meaning of Christmas Special, where he right. plays himself and Tom Green plays Tom Green, but Tom Green is his butler and Dave Foley <laughs> comes to him to seek advice on how to do a good christmas special and mike myers is just in a bath full of money which (laughs) dave politely tops up with wayne's world money so he had an option wayne's world money or austin powers money he went with some good old-fashioned wayne's world money (laughs) so so yeah so canadian boy very proud and again if i ever have a chance to meet him i would probably die i have a friend who saw him in the park feeding squirrels a few years ago so you never know (laughs) you never know
3: I am so excited to have you on because when I discovered your podcast sometime in the last year or two, uh, of course, you're one half of the Saturday Night Vibes podcast with your co host Emily. And when I first saw your podcast or heard your podcast, I started looking at you and Emily as kind of my SNL spiritual cousins <laughs> in a, in a big way because of just the positivity, the good vibes with your show. And I always try to watch SNL as an optimist. I'm not'm I'm, I'm kind of a critic, but but I think I'm fair and I focus more on the stuff that I like, and I yeah. get that sense from you from you and Emily as well.
4: Totally. Yes, it's been awesome to connect with you, Thomas, over the past you know year plus, however long it's been in the in the pandemic times. But yeah, I feel like not that uh, not that SNL is always firing at all cylinders, but I feel <laughs> no. like I feel like there's enough uh, coverage of the things that um, that they don't get right that. Yeah, we were just, we've always, Emily and I have always bonded over the, the joy that the show brings us, so we decided to uh, try to balance the scales a little bit by just uh, going over the top with the positivity.
3: Yeah, definitely, and we're going to inject some positivity uh, today into our conversation because we're here to celebrate a great cast member who means a lot to me, who was in my time of SNL when I discovered the show, yep. uh, and that's Mike Myers. So I want to ask you how did you become acquainted with Mike Myers on SNL
4: yeah so I was thinking a little bit about this as we were leading up to this that so I was born in 1986 to give to position people a little bit so you know not really sort of the target audience when he was live and um, and crushing but you know I kind of came to SNL with the Comedy Central reruns, you know, in maybe the mid mid to late nineties ish. And, you know, they were they were showing a lot of this era to the point where I wasn't I could couldn't really pick apart the different eras because I wasn't really old enough to be watching it live and didn't really have a sense of sense of all that. But this was sort of in a lot of ways one of the casts that I kind of came up with when I really started to to fall in love with the show. And it's it's so interesting to to look back on this era now, I mean, you know, as, as we said at the top, we we're very focused on trying to appreciate the current cast in their time because everyone in every cast in the history of the show, people have not appreciated for one reason or another. And then they go on to, you know, make these all time great movies and do other great things. And we look back and say, Oh, of course, Mike Myers was, was so excellent. I, you know, what a, what a shoe in, but, the reality is you know that's not the way we felt about a lot of these people in their in their time and and kind of looking back what a what a heyday this was and what a cast that he joined when he joined it just just it's just amazing that that this is kind of the what i sort of understood to be SNL when i was first getting to fall in love with the show
3: yeah it was it was quite the golden era and i think that's a really good point i've always said that 15 years from now People are gonna look back at the current cast and long for the days. That's just the cycle of SNL. They're gonna become, they're gonna romanticize this era of SNL as they should. There's a lot of good things, and as we should romanticize Mike Myers' era in the late '80s and early '90s, because that was a true golden era. And I'll position myself to I was born in 1981, so I was probably 11. I was a weird kid that would binge SNL when I was 11 years old super <laughs> super into the show from when I was a tiny kid and I,
4: luckily I, what I've learned in sort of the SNL podcasting space is that we were all kind of weird 11 year olds so Yeah, luckily this is the home for that yes all the weirdos uh, we've all found each other and bonded so so right.
3: this is awesome so but I did catch up on a lot of this era too like you said on Comedy Central they would show the truncated versions yep. of Saturday Night Live and Mike Myers man, he definitely stood out. So give me maybe the first Mike Myers character or sketch that stands out to you.
4: I mean, I think when I, when I first think of him, and I should also say too, that the other sort of reason why I really came to love Mike Myers later in my life is that my college roommate had the best of Mike Myers uh, DVD. And it's just sort of, you know, of the 11 DVDs we had in college, you know, it's just going to, by percentages gonna get watched about a thousand times. So I really internalized a lot of those sketches. So I, I think of things like Japanese game show and I think about Theatre Stories and some of those ones, but I, I mean I think really without trying to make myself be the alt cool uh, deep cut guy, it's it's really Wayne's world and in sprockets and and really finding some of these just absolute unassailable hits that he in some cases came to the show with. You know, these are these are like rock concerts. I mean these that's like the A C D C of of SNL or, you know, I'm trying to think of like what's the biggest it's like the stairway to heaven of yes. of SNL. Just kind of like an unassailable all time concept. It's just perfect in in just about every way.
3: Yeah, and Mike Myers was one of those cast members that seemed truly fully formed. Yeah. when he started on the show, he started in season 14. Uh, I don't think he started right at the beginning of the season. I think he yep. sort of joined mid season, but he had done, uh, I mean, he was part of the, the whole, I believe second city comedy scene and everything. And he yep. had a lot of these characters fully formed or mostly formed and baked before he got on the show. And you had mentioned one of the biggies that he debuted in that first season, was Wayne's World. So yeah. of course, Wayne's World, huge hit, spawned two movies that I still love to this day. I don't I don't think I've watched them in a few years. I don't know how they hold up <laughs> necessarily, but they hold up well yeah. in, in my mind. So
4: yeah. So it, as it comes to Wayne's World, and as you mentioned, entering in, in season 14, so he had moved back to toronto to be closer to his father uh who had i believe alzheimer's uh so i think that it was it was sort of an out of necessity that he moved back home from from england and he had ended up in the toronto second city and uh, got a part of this uh second city alumni show where you know they were doing it was all these great all-time performers and he ends up doing wayne's world to begin the second act and just burns the place to the ground, as I'm sure that we can imagine. He does a, a piece with with Martin Short, and uh, and Martin Short ends up just recommending him off of that performance straight to Lorne, who hires him without without an audition. I mean, I, I'm not sure I can come up with too many more examples like that. I'm sure will be corrected in the comments. Uh, well, maybe
3: like Billy Crystal and Martin yep. Short, that cast that the last Dick I ever saw cast was maybe poached and handpicked without auditions, but you're That's right. True. That's super rare.
4: And it's so middle of the season like that. And it's not like the show was in need of a, of a jolt the way some sort of those Ebersole uh, hires were, you know, he's coming into a cast with Dana Carvey, Nora Dunn, Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, Kevin Nealon, you know, Whitney Brown, Al, Al, Al Franken. So it's like, Dana Carvey is is starting to launch to the stratosphere at this point. The show is, like, really starting to reemerge. It's not like, I don't know, m- maybe this is revisionist history a little bit. But, you know, he's coming into a pretty fully engaged cast and comes to them with what goes down as one of, like, the all-time great SNL sketches just in his back pocket. So... Because I, I think about this all the time of, oh, man, this person was so fully formed. And to hear them talk about it, they were sort of like, well, there's a lot behind the scenes you didn't see. But this, it's pretty hard to argue <laughs> in this case that he was anything other than headed for the stratosphere. And, and after that half a season, he joined in, I want to say, uh, January or so. He immediately sort of went on tour with with Dana Carvey and I think a couple other people and was, was immediately the start of that show to hear them talk about it that you know he had these characters that were so explosive so it just immediately as someone that kind of ended up in toronto by circumstances out of his control ends up in this thing gets thrown into the show and all of a sudden he's he's gone it's just yeah there's there's only a handful of cast members i think that you can follow that trajectory
3: yeah, no kidding. What a whirlwind <laughs> that must yeah. have been for Mike Myers. And when he did Wayne Campbell and Wayne's World before SNL, I believe it was just him solo yep. on stage doing these sketches. And they decided to that they, he needed a sidekick. So that's kind of the show paired him and Dana. And yeah. they just had such great chemistry right away. They played off each other so well. And both of them were just such big performers. And maybe Mike was used to and we'll see this as a trend, I think, throughout his tenure. I think he's more most comfortable, oddly in character, but being featured in a weird way. like yeah. I think he's I think he's most comfortable being the center of attention, but not necessarily as himself in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I think that was the case with Wayne Campbell. And he sort of had to learn to work with Dana Carvey and work well with him. He did. Uh, I'm sure you enjoyed that yeah. partnership. What'd you make of it?
4: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's amazing that in in hindsight, I guess now we can say that they were so they were so like destined for each other. But yeah, to hear them talk about it, it was sort of like, yeah, Mike Myers thinks that they've got this. This pretty good vehicle, and Dana Carvey's already kind of established himself as the new star on the show, so it made some sense to put them together. But you know, even to hear him talk, I heard him on the uh, on the Conan O'Brien podcast talking about how when they did the Aerosmith "Wayne's World," you know, that's a nine plus minute cold open, I think, and that's that's long. And he ta- he talked about afterwards, you know, crying in in a dressing room because he thought he'd he'd blown it, but. I, I'm pretty sure that's what leads off his best of video now. And, and what an epic nine minutes that is, or has Tom Hanks coming out and being the roadie for Aerosmith. They're cutting to his breakfast nook. You know, he writes that amazing monologue for the bass player and, and Aerosmith that is, you know, there's no blueprint for the Paul Taylor or whatever he's saying.
5: Okay. We had a lot of people, right? We told them that you guys were going to be on the show, right? But they had a lot of questions, right? So, so here, here, are the top three questions they had for Aerosmith. Okay. Question number one: Is it true you guys don't do drugs or alcohol anymore? Yeah, that's right. No
6: drugs, no alcohol. Feels great. No way. Way.
5: <laughs> no
6: way. Way. Okay. <laughs> okay.
5: Garth, go ahead. Next question.
7: Okay. Next question is for Steven. Um, okay. Are those really your lips, or are they lip implants like Barbara Hershey had in the movie Beaches? <laughs>
5: Hey man. Bitchin! Ooh. Bitchin' lips. Little oh, lipmeister. Okay, with the recent developments in Eastern Europe, do you think that communism is on the decline, or is this just a temporary setback?
7: Wow, well, man, that's a hard question. But I would have to respond with a qualified yes. Although it seems that socialism is in repose until you remove the Stalinist-era party apparatchiks, there will be no real change in the Soviet Union.
0: No, I disagree, man. There's
4: never been a blueprint for the dictatorship of the proletariat, so there's bound to be mistakes. <laughs> Again, it's, it's hindsight, and this is part of why, why we need to appreciate these things when they happen, right? I mean, I can't imagine what it would have felt like to be in the room, to be in 8-H when that was going on, or to see that at home for the first time. Um, we look back on it now as, of course, what, a, what an epic sketch that was
3: and as the elder statesman in this discussion (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i can tell you without a doubt that at the time wayne's world was a huge hit i remember going to see wayne's world in the theater uh my sister took me and i think one of my cousins to go see wayne's world in the theater and we were so excited like i said we were little snl nerds so excited to see wayne's world so many good memories you had mentioned one of my favorites that Aerosmith appearance and that was the thing about that sketch is a lot of stars wanted to be a part of this Wayne's World phenomenon on SNL I'm thinking of Madonna Uh, yeah Madonna hosted the show before uh, this whole cast but she appeared had a memorable appearance a Wayne's World sketch, <laughs> Yep. Uh, when she wasn't even—I don't even think she was musical guest that night. So it was kind of a—it was an out of the blue Madonna appearance. So just so many people wanted to to be associated <laughs> with this Wayne's World phenomenon.
4: Yeah, and even when um, when they had Wayne Gretzky on, you know, that's something Mike Myers talks about. Is that's a that's basically a, a, a higher station than Jesus to be um, Wayne Gretzky in in Canada and being a. A very proud Canadian. He's literally written the book on being being Canadian. Has uh, talked about how how huge that was, and then it was like, well, if we're gonna have him, then we need the Wayne's World vehicle for him. Yeah, yeah. Should give you something of how uh, how much juice that had at the time.
3: Yeah, Dana Carvey likes to tell a story about how Wayne Gretzky taught him how to hold a hockey stick. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So so that must have been. I mean, Dana Carvey was a big star in his own right. But then you get people like Wayne Gretzky, which in Canada, you're right. I mean, mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky is one of the biggest things <laughs> yeah. in Canada. So so yeah, Wayne's World was a phenomenon. Uh, any other Wayne's World memories before we kind of switch gears with Mike Myers here?
4: No, I mean obviously the the movies uh, hold up mm. her permanent place in in mine and the larger uh, cultural zeitgeist heart. So I think um, it'll always sort of be a part of the vernacular, the fact that they, you know, dropped him into Bohemian Rhapsody, understanding that the whole world's going to understand the wink back to Wayne's world when he was in the movie uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm -hmm. You know, just what a powerful contribution to our culture. And you had mentioned Sprockets, earlier uh, a few minutes ago.
3: And I want to take this time to actually play a game with you. Oh, wow. Yes, I'm springing a game on you. It's yep. Two Truths and a Lie. Yep.
4: So You're not going to ask me to do anything weird, are you? No, like, no. Like by the time I was, played this when I was 11? Yeah, if yeah. this
3: was video, it might have been a different story, <laughs> but some of the weird things might not translate yes. <laughs> through a podcast, so, yep. so you're in the clear. Perfect. So I'm actually... I was going to give you your choice of, of categories, but you had mentioned Sprockets, so I'm going to do the Sprockets one. I actually might spring the other one on you in wow. a bit, so the listeners and you are going to get a bonus Two Truths and a lie. So this is going Buckle to be up. Sprockets themed. Yep. All right. So I'm going to name three facts, quote unquote, about Sprockets, one of which is a lie. So you spot the lie. Okay. Okay. The theme song to Sprockets is "Electric Cafe" by Kraftwerk. The monkey in Sprockets is a pygmy marmoset named Jorgen, and Ben Stiller appeared in the first Sprocket sketch. Which one of those is a lie? Mm.
4: He's thinking. I, you know, I'm pretty sure that the Kraftwerk theme is uh, is a part of Sprockets. Oh.
0: Sprockets, Best German Television presents Sprockets. Meet your host, Dieter.
4: I also think, it wasn't Ben Stiller like a pseudo cast member around this time? I feel I like they, um, they may have had them. And I also feel like I was watching a Sprockets uh, earlier today, and I don't think the monkey is named Jürgen. I don't know the actual... Phylum, uh, genus, species, uh, the, as you named it there, but that's what I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna go for. Is the lie is the second one. Okay, so
3: the theme song to Sprockets is a slowed down version of Electric Cafe by yep. Kraftwerk. Ben Stiller was a cast member around that time, and he did appear on Sprockets as Eddie Munster. So the monkey in Sprockets, I have no idea if it was a pygmy marmoset. I actually Googled. <laughs> monkey yeah <laughs> types so it's not the monkey in sprockets was actually named klaus klaus that's right who may or may not have been a pygmy marmoset so you got that right and nice your, one your, your sprockets bona fides uh, are intact so Love that. so great job so i'm going to let you run with this i'll say up top that i as a weird little kid used to wear a tight black turtleneck and mm-hmm. do um data impressions so that's where why I not. stand on Sprockets. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? So so where do you, uh, what do you have to say about Sprockets?
4: I was thinking about this today as I was like re-watching some of these is that I find these so much funnier now than I did, you know, in the time I was, when I was watching the reruns and in, in that age group, I was just, maybe it was just in the hopes of being more of a normie that I was like, this is just a little bit too weird for me to uh, let myself fall into other than, uh, you know, it's not, uh, people are still quoting these lines in middle school anyway, walking around with uh, like a little girl and, you know, (laughs) um, and it's, so I I think, but just listening to it today, man, just such a good writer, you know, like the, the way he plays with language. And as I mentioned, you know, the, this sort of conversation about socialism in Wayne's world and the, the play on words that he puts in these guests mouth to to say in the very specific accent too. It's not like he's just doing it to be silly. That thing is dialed. You know, his dialects are so right on. I just found myself appreciating that more than I ever have today.
3: Yeah, you're so right. And I, I found the same way as I got older, I started appreciating, more of the the nihilistic qualities that, that that were in this sketch i mean i always they were always fun so at for a for a little kid the sprockets sketch could be a lot of fun there's people dancing there's a little monkey there's a the host saying touch my monkey and all that stuff yep but as an adult you start picking up on the dark more of the dark comedy and dark oh, humor and that's what a lot of that was something that Mike Myers was so good at and it just bled through so much in Sprockets. Uh, do, you, do you have any Sprockets in particular <laughs> that, that, that you like to go back to?
4: I feel like I, I like the one with Woody Harrelson for some reason. That one really tickles me.
5: What is your take on Euro Disney? Mm, I was so disgusted by Euro Disney that I threatened it <laughs> gnaw at my own genitals like a small woodland creature in protest. <laughs> Delicious. My disgust was such that I decided to develop a counterculture theme park as an alternative to Euro Disney. So I designed Euro Trash. Euro Trash. Curious, please tell us more. Euro Trash is a celebration of the repellent and painful in everyday European life. For example, Euro Disney has Fantasyland. Euro Trash has Ennui Village. Speaking of which. Would you like to touch my monkey? Mm. Touch him, love him, leave him man hour, Smicky. It is safe, Klaus. Please touch Klaus. 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 Oh. <sighs> mm, it took a while, but he is smitten with you, I can tell.
3: <laughs> the Woody Harrelson one uh is a super classic one. Kyle McLaughlin was in one that was really memorable to me. It was a take on it was a take on America's funnest home videos. It was Germany's most disturbing home videos Yep. something like that. And, and that say yeah, that Kyle McLaughlin, that whole episode was great, but that Kyle McLaughlin on Sprockets sketch yep. really, uh, definitely stands out to me. So I don't know if anybody else out there was a weird little kid and wore the black turtleneck and danced around. But yep. if, if you were that little kid, you're not alone.
4: So I did wear the black turtleneck and dance around, but that had more to do with me just being in, you know, middle school concert band than it had to do with sprockets. So fair.
3: (laughs) (laughs) what other character sketch uh, do you do you think we have to talk about here?
4: Uh, You know, this one has not aged well. I'll just come right out the top here. But all right, I for many years had said my favorite SNL sketch of all time was Japanese game show. This is the one where it just the the writing of this is like peak SNL, right? For those that haven't seen it, it's uh, a Japanese game show. Mike Myers is the host, speaks Japanese. Alec Baldwin is one of the contestants. Janine Garofalo is the other contestant. And Chris Farley is the third contestant. And as it goes on, they go right down the line. They get to Chris Farley and he says, I don't speak Japanese. And of course, the crowd explodes and he's like yeah whatever this is fun turns out it's one of these japanese game shows where they have to mutilate themselves when they get a wrong answer so he panics but starts doing really well on the game show (laughs) by accident and it continues to escalate and chris farley gets excited and uh barely gets the last question wrong before getting uh, jumper cables hooked up to his testicles and electrocuted in front of the crowd just I mean it's perfect um every way it is a you know 1976 uh you know seasoned wine it is you know the a Jordan Bulls it is the you know <laughs> whatever we'd like to to call it it's perfect in in every way Except for the fact that there's three white characters, uh, speaking gibberish, uh, Japanese and not great, you know,
3: right. And I don't want to, I don't want to excuse something like that. I mean, obviously in 2022 that wouldn't fly nor should it, but we both were around in 1990. I think it was, this was either 1994 or 1995. It was in season 20 Mm. and, that's just we we weren't in as enlightened yeah. <laughs> as just a culture uh, in general, so we should just say that up front. But I am in complete agreement with you. I think this was a gem of a of a pretty messy season in season twenty, and this this sketch in particular, I think, was a gem that that stood out. And that, to me, it, a lot of it was the timing. So if you yeah. get past the obvious, Mike Myers playing a, a, a Japanese game show host mm-hmm. there were a lot of the jokes and a lot of the brilliance of the sketch had to do with the timing and with the obliv- obliviousness of yeah. Chris Farley and the quite frankly a lot of the sadistic qualities of Mike Myers and that character yeah. <laughs> in particular so I, I completely agree uh, I watched this sketch a few days ago and I honestly uh, still enjoyed it qualifiers understood
4: it's certainly the the general conceit of like a midwestern american going accidentally ending up on a foreign language game show and accidentally doing really well is Mm -hmm. hysterical it's you know probably better adapted for our time as like maybe he goes to sweden or something and it he gets midsummer like you know torture applied to him instead of you know a lot of the issues we would have with white people uh putting on a Japanese accent, but man, up until I I had that realization of its poorly aged uh, quality. This has <laughs> always been one of my one of my favorites. Another one that's on that best of that I go back to a lot is uh, Theatre Stories. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously as the as the son of two Liverpool born parents, and having he spent a lot of time. In England, uh, just has Mike Myers has some of the most definitive North American actor doing English accent credibility, maybe of anyone ever, and just deeply understands the the things that we find funny about them, right. um, the seriousness with which he takes this interview with, with a number of characters doing equally wacky things, uh, makes this even funnier it looks like maybe the the closest precursor we have to austin powers as he's in his in his plaid sort of professor jacket um conducting these ridiculous interviews so theater stories always always jumps out to me as well as just kind of an indication of you know i what i think we were what was to come from him for a lot of the rest of his career Yeah, I was thinking about that Austin Powers connection, and
3: that's one of at least a couple of examples of him almost workshopping a future movie character on the show. Uh, One of the first characters that he did on the show was Stuart Rankin. Oh, come on, you know who Prime Minister Dundas is.
5: Well, isn't that typical, huh? The typical American attitude. Oh, we're America, we're the center of the universe. We don't have to know who Prime Minister Dundas is. Look at the Super Bowl. The 49ers call themselves the world champions. Well, they're not played Scotland. Well, until they actually play the Aberdeen Razorbacks, we won't know for sure. And the way that Scottish people are portrayed on American television. Cheap little bastards with wee beards and kilts flinging away to beat the bands playing the bagpipes. <laughs> oh, don't take my money. Don't take my money. Hootsman, Akai, or Jackie Stewart. Oh, the track is very slick today. You can look for a lot of accidents. And back to you, Chrissy Konamaki and the pets.
3: But that was to me almost a precursor to the dad and So I Married an Axe Murderer. Oh my god. When I, yeah, when I saw short Stuart Rankin, I was thinking, I was like the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> meme yeah. pointing at the TV, like there he is, there's the dad from "So I Married an Axe Murder," God. which is one of my favorite comedies ever. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> ever. My brother, so.
4: that's one that's uh, that's deep in my. When my brother and I, you know, if, you know, if someone goes in front of the TV, he's like, "Look at this, move your giant head." You know, it's like a melon on a toothpick. You know, it's like yeah. Sputnik. <laughs> uh, that just. That just seeps into you um, so deliciously.
3: Yeah, my, my cousin Nico and I, they were an SNL fan uh, as well uh, growing up. And so we would look at each other sometimes and have the blue go, woman,
1: yeah.
3: whoa, man, <laughs> whoa, man. Just like totally quote that movie <laughs> as kids. So Mike Myers, uh, if you're an SNL fan around that time, there's fun little little Easter eggs I think in some of his movies that you can pinpoint back to yeah. to his time at, at SNL, <laughs> well for sure,
4: and it's you start to kind of think about it too. You know, it's, he can he can perfectly mimic a lot of his best impressions are Englishmen of various kinds. Obviously, the Beatles being a, a Liverpudlian himself, and you know he can do every, everybody in the Rolling Stones, and that to me is you know Europe. You're a basketball fan, right Thomas, yeah, right? You think yeah. about like the the five-tool players or the whatever the, the case is of he's an outstanding game show host as we've said multiple times. I think about Geek Dweeb or Spaz is yeah. another great one. I think he did that when he came back to host, you know, as just like a, a show host, right? Wayne's World, Sprockets, Theater Stories, those are all him, you know, facilitating the sketch. He's an impressionist, he can sing and dance, you know, I so, I don't know what else, sort of, it's original characters. Um, he can be a, a facilitator. You know, I don't know what else we, what other stats you think about as to round out sort of the, 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 what, what does Kevin Durant not do well? You know, really.
3: Right. Right. And, and I was actually thinking about stats in relation to Mike Myers. And I think that he, had a high batting average. We'll go to baseball. We're going to mix our All sports this. references. And I think Mike had... Emily would be uh, would be asleep. She, she would just be lost. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Noted for <laughs> for future episodes. We love so, you,
4: Emily. You, you get better.
3: <laughs> so I think Mike Myers had a really high batting average as a cast member as far as memorable sketches and characters related to what he was in because I mean he occasionally played supporting roles but he really stood out as the star of sketches and when he was the star of sketches he hit on most of them so I think it seemed like relative to what he was in and what he started and what became a hit Mike Myers had a super high batting average or field goal percentage if you want to go back to basketball
4: yeah, he's like, he could also be kind of a glue guy. You know, I don't know if whenever the fandom levies that, I think we mean it as a compliment. I don't know if the cast members uh, consider that a backhanded compliment or not. People always talk about like Phil Hartman is like one of the great glue guys, right? He just like mm-hmm. keeps everything together. Could be the ever man or be the father or do the other things. But, you know, I just, I think that he had had that piece too. Obviously he had these major featured characters that that would tear the tear the place to the ground but it's just you know if you watch those seasons straight through he also just will kind of walk through and he'll ser- serve someone at the at the restaurant if he has to he'll go deliver a pizza he'll go whatever the the scene calls for so um yeah yeah he's got sort of a lot of the things that we love about beck bennett or mikey day you know um, mm-hmm. types you know cecily strong in some some cases i think to use the modern examples, um, had all had all those pieces too.
3: Yeah, exactly. He'll play a uh, TV executive in in the nude talk show, which was right. some, which was a, which was one that I'm doing research <laughs> for a lot of different episodes. So I watched yeah. the nude talk show recently. It was an early '90s sketch yeah. starring Alec Baldwin and John Lovitz and Nora Dunn and Mike Myers was a TV executive playing total straight man. Yeah, in the sketch, but he served it really well. So that's even something yeah. that I often forget about Mike Myers, because his characters were so huge.
4: Totally. I mean, it's certainly not what you think of. And I don't think any of any of those characters, we uh, performers we just mentioned, you know, sort of say like, Oh, I was, don't you think that I'm the, as the judge in the Chippendale sketch, I really carry that, you know, but I think they, they do take pride in, in being able to serve each other. Right. I mean, it's a very, you have to be a team player on that show or else you're, you're gone quickly.
3: And you had mentioned that, He had spent a lot of time. He took inspiration from, like, some part of his family was from England, from the UK. So he took a lot of inspiration from that. He also took inspiration from a member of his family for one of his huge sketches. And I'm going to use that as a segue to throw another two truths and a lie at you. Here we go. Okay, here we go. All right. So the topic is coffee talk. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Can you do your best coffee talk in your Linda Richman accent for me?
4: Uh, Oh, Oh Barbara.
3: <laughs> that was that was great. That's better than what Talk I'm... amongst yourselves. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh Rhode Island. Sketch... Neither
4: a road nor an island. Talk
3: amongst Wow. Yourselves. Are you clairvoyant? Because <laughs> for Two Truths and a Lie, there were topics that Linda Richmond threw out when she asked the audience to talk amongst themselves because she was too verklempt. Yeah. So I'm gonna name three of the topics that she threw out, one of which is a lie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Rhode Island is neither a road nor an island. Discuss. Yep. Dr. Pepper is neither a doctor nor a pepper. Discuss. Mm-hmm. The Red Hot Chili Peppers are neither red nor hot nor chili peppers. Discuss.
4: <laughs> yeah, I know the first one. Man, I'm going to... Uh, I I really don't know about the other two. I'm going to say the third one's a lie. I feel like the uh, Chili Peppers... Although I don't know, "Chili Blood Sugar Sex Magic" comes out in '92. Yeah, That's around then. Yeah, major moment mm-hmm. that could have been a they intersected a very, with uh, uh, these sketches. That could have been um relevant. The fans would have known what that was. No, I'm sticking with it. Can't talk myself out of it. Good man, you got this right. You're really good at this game. <laughs> so, so Dr. Peppers, neither
3: a daughter nor a pepper, was a topic that Linda Richmond uh, threw mm-hmm. out when she became verklempt. The red hot chili peppers are neither red nor hot nor chili peppers was not a topic yeah. that Linda Richmond threw Woo. out, and I didn't stump you. So, Linda Richmond, <laughs> he took he took inspiration from his mother in law. Wow, for uh, <laughs> I didn't realize <laughs> for that for this sketch. Yeah, yeah. His wife, I believe, is from New York, and his mother in law is obviously, maybe the Linda Richmond's exaggerated, but he definitely is playing his mother-in-law in these sketches. Now I'm
5: getting a little verklempt. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. The radical reconstruction of the South after the Civil War was neither radical nor a reconstruction. Discuss. <laughs>
3: There, I feel better. (laughs) These were a lot of fun (laughs) for me, honestly, to watch.
4: Yeah, I was watching the one with him and Madonna and Roseanne the other night. You know, it's like, I've never really been a Roseanne guy. I know that's a very easy thing to say nowadays, considering she has defamed herself uh, in every possible way. But in this one, it's like they've kind of thrown her um, uh, a fastball and she still finds ways to stumble over it. But Madonna is... Excellent in that in that one, and that's the one where Barbara Streisand surprises them at the end, and they all just lose their minds, so yeah, one of my favorites for sure that's what the yeah. they take a call where they uh Madonna you know sa- says exactly about the things about Madonna that's that character would you know, and that she's basically like a hussy, you know, yeah. um so yeah, it's just it's perfect, I mean, kind of a precursor to um Bronx beat too. So you and
3: I are men of a certain age. We're relatively in the same ballpark. I'm forty. You're thirty-five. I'm a, I'm almost on Lipitor. Almost Lipitor, on Lipitor. My... So, yeah. so there's a there's a character that Mike Myers played who I find myself relating to <laughs> more and more, <laughs> more and more by the day. And it's middle-aged man. Middle-aged
6: man. He has powers and knowledge that are far beyond young man, caught between forty and fifty-five, accruing more interest yet losing his sex drive, developing skills and a gut. middle man.
4: Oh
2: my God!
3: <laughs> yes. So, what did you think of middle-aged man? Maybe then <laughs> versus now. <laughs>
4: I think, I think it I think it was it was funny to me then because mm-hmm. it's like this is my dad and my dad's friends. Um and it's funny to me now because it's just so true. I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, you know, you're looking at my gut, aren't you? I'm working on it because I literally am working on it and I That's have mine. a gut. now. You know, it's just, here we here we go. I mean, it's just perfect. He's got a couple great ones. I think Chris Farley's in a couple of these. Uh um, drinking buddy. Yeah, his drinking buddy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> middle-aged man and his sidekick, drinking buddy.
3: <laughs> yes. I find myself giving people unsolicited advice about <laughs> home repairs and things like that, to like middle-aged man did. So, oh my and it was funny at the time, too. I was a kid, and I thought that was hilarious. It was a good sight gag. Yeah. First of all, Mike Myers was all about sight gags in general. I mean, he's sunk into a character. Yeah. And just the writing and the performance, I think middle-aged man kind of gets slept on. I think it, it's under the radar compared to a lot of Mike Myers' characters on SNL.
5: What seems to be the problem? Oh, hold on, hold on. I think I just had a mailox moment. <laughs> I think my husband is having an affair. Hmm, tell me, did he recently buy a red sports car?
0: Why, yes, he did.
5: Uh, Yes. Did he go out and get a haircut that's far too young for his face?
0: Why, yes, that's amazing.
5: And finally, does he seem unusually happy lately?
0: No, not really.
5: Then he's not having an affair. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just a little middle-aged humor. Right, trickin' Buddy? Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, what are you looking at? You're looking at my gut, aren't you? No. Well, I'm working on it.
4: I mean, the prosthetic gut alone, I think, is enough for for that one. I mean, I have, uh, I have a friend of mine that just bought her first house, and I was, like, making some dad jokes about, like, oh, if you ever need to borrow, you know, my 100-foot orange extension cord here comes dad and she was like oh I'm, we're going to Lowe's to like get some ant traps and I st- and all of a sudden my brain stopped joking and be like you know what you need to do is you need to get enticed that's the best sna- I mean if you want to get your ants you got to get enticed I got I got the Amazon link you know I can bring them over later do you want me to bring them over are you doing something later I'm checking in with her so there's are you looking at my the, gut yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I'm working on it so um, it just yeah continues to be more true the older we get I love middle-aged man and
3: and of course, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan, so Superfans was was really important to me as a kid. That might be why I'm a Chicago Bears fan. Now that I think about it, was because wow. of the SNL super fans. I was around yeah. that impressionable <laughs> age, and I, I, I actually I need to blame Mike Myers as being part of the reason why
4: yeah. I'm a tortured Chicago Bears fan. Yeah, we had um, at one point when I was a kid got the Chris Farley best of is the way I think a lot of people did. We were just, at one point, my father said, we're I'm, we're going to rent something else from, you know, um, from the video store because we were wearing it out. And that was one of the ones that my friends and I were doing all the time with him pounding his chest because, uh, yeah, how many uh, heart attacks is that for you? Yeah, it'll be a baker's dozen. <laughs> uh, so it's just, but again, it's like, yeah, Mike, Mike Myers and, you know, I think about Dana Carvey or... um you know, Kate McKinnon to some extent of just being able to like these regional dialects. It's like, I don't know if he knows how to do the Philly one. There's only a handful of people that know how to do Philly, but I'd be... If I had a draft pick and Tina Fey was off the board, you know, I just feel like he could very easily find his way into any of these characters.
3: Yeah, I would trust him with that too. There's there There's a noticeable new mexican accent too i'm from new mexico yeah. and there is new mexican dialect and i bet if mike myers spent a day yeah in the right part of new mexico that he, he would get that dialect down I, yeah. I would i would definitely trust him with that
4: see i'm from boston and everybody everybody does one and i feel like the good ones are funny and the bad ones are just as funny so yes yeah <laughs> there's such a wide range there yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are there
3: any other characters or sketches that, that we need to hit on before before we head on out of here?
4: Yeah, the last one I think about all the time is Philip the Hyper Hypo. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I mean, maybe another one that hasn't aged as well. Uh, this would be a great one if we had, had Emily here, who also loves just the weird things that that little kids do. But as as a father of a little kid, just like the way they were able to capture the nonsense that children will say confidently... Mm-hmm. and make it into something that can still move a sketch forward. I mean, it's the other thing. It's like, I'll give you a, a hundred ridiculous thing that my son ha- has said, but it won't, it just, it would stall in a sketch. It would just continue to be, this is not going anywhere because this uh, child is uh, spouting nonsense, but they're just fine ways to be like, all of a sudden they're in the middle of the conversation and he tells Nicole Kidman, I love you for no reason. And then they move on and then <laughs> she starts yeah. talking like a robot and then... It just, his, like, there's something about, too, as we're talking about his cadence, and maybe this is the Canadian in him, but it's just sort of like, he has things in there. He just says things a little differently than anyone else would if they was on the page of, like, how come you don't have to wear a helmet? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah I hear that Canadian come out in
3: him, and he draws out his words like a little kid would.
5: One time, my mom's car ran out of gas, so she gave me a Snickers bar and a can of Coke. I towed the car home Seven miles When we got home, I was tired
7: God. We just moved here from Australia It's nice here in America
5: See that? This is where milk comes for the baby oh. <laughs> This is where milk comes for the baby Right there, and right there
3: yeah, that Nicole Kidman one, uh, especially, is is one that I've always gone to since around that time. And Philip the hyper hypo, he's hyper hypo because he's hyperactive and hypoglycemic. So, right. so he makes sure to tell her this, yeah. and then he overshares about his parents, and yeah. and he tells Nicole Kidman that that wow, it seems like you really get a lot of positive. Support or
4: whatever it it's sounds just, like you're surrounded by a lot of positive support. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my mom yeah, thinks so. the harness is cruel. My mom thinks it's very necessary. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Philip the Hyper Hypo is definitely one that that I noted too when I was doing this research. So, if you, the listener, have any other Mike Myers favorites or sketches that we didn't get to, please let us know. Uh, you can follow us on. Twitter at SNL Hall of Fame and just kind of let us know what we missed because I'm sure we did. Not so, possible. not Revered yeah, every yeah. Bit of it. yeah.
4: <laughs> so, <laughs> feedback's not welcome. No, no not your only positive just feedback. I'm just so no, I'm good. sorry. <laughs> I get out of my own little positive bubble and I start yelling. In great, in
3: Greg's and, and Emily's honor, please give us positive feedback because sure. we're all about the vibes here. <laughs> so, after SNL, of course, I mean, we talked about Austin Powers. Shrek. I mean, those two alone sort of gave Mike enough money and cushion in his career to be able to do whatever he, he kind of wanted a, yeah. after SNL. I want to talk about a couple of things: the Pentaverate, which is a kind of a take on. Uh, uh, well, it comes directly from "So I Married an Axe Murderer." Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a Netflix show, and it's just Mike sinking himself into these characters and prosthetics where he seems most comfortable. And then the gong show (laughs) he did again, prosthetics. And it was very weird (laughs) as well, but,
4: but I mean, our turn that was,
3: yeah, but it's Mike just kind of doing what, what he loves, which is just sinking himself into characters and, and being the star of the show, but not as Mike Myers necessarily. So I think all in all, I liked his post-SNL career. Um, I don't know about you, but I did.
4: Yeah, I think Austin Powers, you know, was much more... That was coming out in when I was the exact right age for it. I have a distinct memory of being, like, you know, one of the things that we finally were able to... You know, the things, the new movies that were coming out that my father loved, that I loved, was I was finally meeting in in that one with, like, the, the Dumb and dumb, Dumber era and... Austin Powers, in particular, I remember specifically showing up to both *The Spy Who Shagged Me* and *Goldmember*, and them both being sold out. Because this is back in the days where you couldn't reserve your seats, and we just uh, they were they were just huge. I mean, those it's hard to hard to describe how huge they are in a world where the box office is uh, slowly dying around us. But I mean, these are all these movies. I mean, you talk about wayne's world it was shrek that was another one we saw with the with the whole family that was sort of like Mm -hmm. another one of those just like really nice sort of meeting points that uh and as i as i said so i married married an axe murderer was one that i shared share with my brother too so very central to to our family the way a lot of these all-time cast members tend to tend to find ways to just work their way into your your heart and mind and very grateful for uh from Mike Myers' contribution to the zeitgeist.
3: Yeah, two super successful
4: franchises for Mike Myers. So good for you. Yeah, he's got a money machine. He's got one of those things that like, we always think like Paul McCartney's got one of these too, or he's just like, you know what? Why don't we go ahead and remaster Rubber Soul again? All right, everyone, get your baskets out. We're going to turn the machine on (laughs) for two years, you know, while we get the run out of this. I think they do that with like, all right, we're going to do another Shrek video game or we're going to do... Happily ever after. Everyone, get your get your baskets out. We're going to turn the machine on. So he's got one of those, and he and it's well earned, definitely <laughs> oh, for my Mike God. Myers. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to put a little we're going to put a little bow on
3: this, and I want you to give me your final case for Mike Myers as an SNL Hall of Famer.
4: It's what we said before. That he's a perfect cast member. You know, the only to me, it's sort of like when we're evaluating baseball players for the Baseball Hall of Fame. One of the things they have to say. They have to satisfy is did they dominate their era and he was on a cast with dana carvey who you know by demographic is someone that they they could have been very competitive in for screen time and for overall quality and he went toe-to-toe with someone who i consider to amaz- maybe be the perfect cast member he's he's a 100 out of 100 is Jordan better than LeBron? We can debate it on sports radio all we want, but both of them have achieved the maximum amount they possibly could over the course of their career. So that's that's sort of where, where I stand on him is that there's no there's no weakness in his game. He can serve the sketch or he can uh, create a phenomenon. He can do impressions, but he can also do bizarre regional dialects. He can do things that are very much in line with uh, sort of the you know right after the monologue type stuff like big game shows also he can do 10 to 1s and uh in in sprockets and other things until like someone like will ferrell where anytime he's on screen uh the place is going to explode so they just nothing is 10 to 1 with him because the crowd loves him so much there's just there's no weaknesses in his game so i don't think there's any doubt on this one
1: Okay, that was Greg Croak and Thomas Senna in discussion talking about Mike Myers. And I got to say, if I wasn't certain before, there was, uh, there was a certain comment that Greg made toward the end that really sort of sealed the deal for me. And it was the idea of dominating your era. This is a guy that was dropped in as a rookie. With a, you know, a tour de force in Dana Carvey and they went toe to toe. They went toe to toe. He was a star. He was an absolute star on that show and did everything that the show asked of him. And then some, I think that for me, I have to reserve a vote for him this season and put him in as a a first ballot hall of famer. That's me. How you choose to deal with it is up to you. But you can only do that if you register to vote. Go to snlhof.com, click on the voting tab, and you can set yourself up right there to vote. Now, let's listen in on a great sketch that cements the deal and seals the case for Mike Myers. This is Theater Stories from SNL.
2: British American Theatre Alliance presents Theatre Stories with your host, Kenneth Reese Evans.
5: Hello, I'm Kenneth Reese Evans and welcome to another episode of, of Theatre Stories. <laughs> Our guests tonight are Sir William St. John Stephen Smythe cursey or Nobby, as he's known at the Old Vic. Hello, always a pleasure. And uh, our next guest is an actress whose 1931 debut at the Royal Shakespeare was described as both Dionysian and unabashedly insane. I'm speaking, of course, of Dame Sarah Kensington. I heard my name. They're calling me again. Yes. And finally, Hollywood film actor and American child star Mickey Rooney. I was the number one star in the
7: world, you hear me? Bang, the world.
5: (laughs) Yes, of course, yes, yes. Now, just before the show started, Nobby here was telling us a story about Sir Lawrence
6: Olivier. Oh, yes, yes. Larry was performing in the American Pope motion picture film Marathon Man, and Dustin Hoffman came to the set one morning looking absolutely wretched. And Olivier said, you look absolutely wretched. And Dustin said, well, I've stayed awake for 24 hours because at this point in the picture, my character has been up all night. And Sir Lawrence quipped, oh, Dusty, why don't you try acting? (laughs) Very good, yes. Well, Dustin shoots back, act on this, you old English. Shame, shame. And then Sir Larry retorts, I want a meal, not a snack. Very clever. And the American replies, self-serve, buddy! Sure. And then Olivier takes a beat, as only Larry can, and he says something so perfect, so absolutely perfect.
7: <laughs> um, incidentally, for your edification, I tried to sell a script to Mr. Dustin Hoffman, and he never called me back. And I've been in the business 68 years. You hear me? I was the number one star in the world. Bang! The world. I made $200,000 in 1937, and by 1945, I was broke. And I went to my accountant, and I said, I'm broke. And he said, Mickey, you can't be broke. You were the number one star in the world. you hear me? Bang! In the
5: world. Yes, I quite agree. I've been married five times to the same wonderful man. Yes, yes. That reminds me of a story that is in no way related. I was working with Sir John Gilgood in a production of *Troilus
6: and Cressida. When I discovered I had no control over the volume of my voice. Really, really. You know, I've always felt that John Gilgood had a certain, as the French say, I don't know what.
5: I was playing Lady Macbeth to John Gielgud's Othello in a production of The Tempest. And who should I see in the front row, taking notes, but Mr. Potato Head. And the thing that struck me about Mr. Potato Head was that his facial features were completely interchangeable. Yes, 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 of course. No, it would have of a lie. Mr. Potato Head... Tell me, Mr. Rooney, who was your favorite leading lady? Look, I'm
7: four foot eight. I was never going to romance Miss Kim Novak, but I had the pleasure of performing with the lovely Miss Judy Garland. So I'm not bitter. You see, that's how it works. I'm not a freak. I was the number one star in the world. You hear me? Bang. The world. In 1965, I called Warner Brothers and I said, This is Mickey Rooney, I need a job. And the bastard hung up on me.
6: What a fascinating story, you ghastly American! Bang. <laughs>
5: I'm just glad I like women.
6: What are you getting at? Yes, yes,
5: yes. Why don't you go away somewhere and have an, have an American hot a dog? <laughs>
6: Now, I remember a performance of Richard III during the war, and right in the middle of the second act, we took a direct hit from the Nazi buzz bomb. I looked up and saw the proscenium crashing down on me, and I went, ah! And I soiled myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I don't blame you. I would have done the same had I seen that. I don't mean then. I mean just now, when I went, ah! Excuse me. <laughs>
5: Yes, yes, of course. That was fascinating, but the rest of the story will have to wait because that's all the time we have! So we'll see you next week at Theatre Stories!
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was Theatre Stories featuring Mike Myers, the nominee this week in the cast member category. A solid pick. I want to thank Greg Croak. I want to thank Thomas Senna. I want to thank Matthew Ardill. This has been another great week. Tomorrow, it all gets real, though. Voting opens. Hope you're ready. Now, that's what I've got for you. So do me a favor. On your way past the weekend update exhibit, turn out the lights. Because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for
0: listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug DeNant saying, this is Doug Danant saying, see you next week.